of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We want to read verses 26 through 38 in our time together this morning. Thank you guys for leading us and for helping us to sing to the Lord and about the Lord. We're always so grateful for how God uses you to help us. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one from the pew in front of you. You could just grab that and turn to page 855. Otherwise, it's also known as Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent uh, from God to the the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed uh, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will uh, give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, uh, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And and this is the sixth month with her uh, who was called barren. For Nothing is, will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Father, through the preaching of your word, reveal your glory. Until every heart confesses that Jesus is Lord. So show us Christ. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're thinking together these weeks. This is the third week of uh, something of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We began by looking at who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Our one God uh, consists of three persons who are distinguishable and distinct from one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet who are indivisible 
and inseparable from one another. And then we looked at uh, a bit of, of, of something of where was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And uh, the Holy Spirit, beginning on the first page, is found throughout the Old Testament. This morning, I want us to think a bit about how does the Holy Spirit relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the activities and roles of the Holy Spirit in regard to Christ? And I I, I want us to think about that in two ways. First of all, I want us to think about something, and our reading just now helps us with this first point, uh, something of the Holy Spirit's role during the incarnation of Christ. That is, when, when Christ becomes a man, the God-man. He takes on flesh. So something of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of, uh, in, in Jesus' life on earth. And then the second point I want us to look at is something about the Holy Spirit's role after the ascension of Christ. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit after Jesus leaves this earth? First of all, As we just read, we turn to the Gospels, and the Gospel accounts orient us to the particular roles and activities uh, concerning the Holy Spirit in regard to the life and ministry of the Lord Lord Jesus Christ. And and from the moment of conception, uh, the Holy Spirit is active in the life and ministry of Jesus, as we just read. And yet, and yet I would back us up just for a moment, just kind of take a little parenthetical remark here, and, uh, and, and uh, just mention that even prior to the conception and the arrival of Christ on this earth, the Holy Spirit was fulfilling other roles and activities in reference to Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is actively preparing things for the arrival of Christ in at least two ways. First, it's the Holy Spirit who is the divine agent stirring in the hearts of the prophets to give us prophecies concerning the arrival of Christ. And in fact, one of the prophecies that the Holy Spirit moves on the hearts of the prophets to allude to is the fact that when the Messiah does come, he will be endowed by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42 verse 1, for instance, says, "'Behold my servant, whom I uphold.'" The, the, my chosen one in whom, I, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So the Holy Spirit is stirring in the hearts of the prophets, giving us advanced information about the Messiah. And one of the things he says is that the Messiah will have the Holy Spirit upon him. In fact, when John the Baptist begins to preach and minister. One of the things he says about Jesus and the Holy Spirit in John three thirty four, he speaks of Jesus as the one whom the Spirit of God will be upon without, uh, w- without measure. In other words, Jesus will have the Holy Spirit in ways that no one else or nothing else have, has, has had the Holy Spirit. And that reminds us then of a second thing in the Old Testament, is that in the Old Testament, there were a series of, 
of pictures, I think, that, that point us to Jesus, uh, pictures pertaining to Christ, uh, the offices, uh, the chief and primary offices in the Old Testament, office of priest, the office of prophet, the office of king, all of those offices required an anointing of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of each of those offices. So in the Old Testament, that's another way and say, where was the Holy Spirit at in the Old Testament? He was getting things ready for the arrival of Jesus. And then when Jesus, when it's in the fullness of time, when Jesus is sent from the Father, the gospel accounts begin to orient us to the Spirit's role. Now, the gospel of John just simply, in the very conceptual broad way, just says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Matthew chapter 1, we have a little bit more information, particularly about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it, it, Matthew simply tells us that, uh, that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But as we read in, in Luke's account, Luke gives us more details. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and explains that, that uh, she will be, be with child. And, and uh, she's scratching her head because she doesn't quite know how that's going to work, seeing how she's never been with a man before. And, and, and yet in verse 35 in particular, uh, we, we see how Gabriel explains this. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that's an interesting picture. You remember last week in Genesis 1 how the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters? That's really a kind of a, a kindred term there. It's, a, it's also a kindred term to in the book of Exodus after they build the temple and the Spirit of God comes down on the temple. The Spirit of God is, if, if you would, hovering over the over the temple. The glory of God is hovering over the temple. In the same way, the, the Spirit of God is going to come down and hover over Mary, and as a result of that, she will be with child. And from that point on, from this, if you would, this moment of conception, the Spirit of God will be uniquely empowering the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is sent by the Father to do a work. And yet the work He does, He will do in the very enablement of the Spirit of God whom the Father sends upon Jesus to do that work. He's born in the power of the Spirit. He lives and acts as a man in the power of the Spirit. At His baptism... We, we, we see in a very unique way in, in Luke 3, if you just wanted to turn a, a couple of pages over, uh, as John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and now when all the people, verse 21 of chapter 3, now when all the people were baptized, and, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Again, the common Im imagery of hovering once again. And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And, and yet immediately then after the Spirit anoints Jesus at his baptism, look over at, at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, 
full of the Holy Spirit, returned uh, from the Jordan, in other words, after he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. In other words, it's the very power of the Spirit that leads Jesus into the wilderness, and it will be the very power of the Spirit that will strengthen and enable Jesus to withstand that temptation. And then in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his public ministry, and he begins teaching, and one day when he's in the synagogue, he opens the scroll to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, and look at verse 18 of Luke 4. This is Jesus reading a prophecy about himself. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me and to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, uh, who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, as the God-man, as God who takes on flesh and dwells among us, Jesus comes in the power of the Spirit to obey the Father who sent him, to resist the temptation of the devil, to communicate perfectly the divine truths from his Father, to love his disciples well, to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit, to perform the healings and miracles that he performs and does, uh, to experience the suffering that will await him at the cross, and to offer up an atoning sacrifice in his life and through his shed blood at the cross. Jesus does each and every one of the things that he does by the enablement, by the power of the Spirit. Now, just as a sidebar, remember, I, I, the last couple weeks I've, I've kept making a big fuss about how the members of the Trinity, while they are distinct and distinguishable from each other, they are inseparable. They are indivisible from each other. In other words, you, you can't find one of them doing something that the other two ain't involved in that same way, one, shape for, uh, one way, shape, form, or another. And so it, it shouldn't come as a great, oh, whoa, I didn't ever think about that. That when we think about how when God took on flesh and dwelt among us, that, that, that God the Son is coming uh, uh, by being sent by God the Father. And he is, he is coming being sent by God the Father to do the work of the Father by the very enablement of God the Spirit. You see, in the work of Christ, and, and although we marvel and praise Jesus for his arrival and what he has done and what he has taught us and how he has shed his blood for us. He has done each and every one of those things by the power of the Spirit. And so I don't know how all that gets sort out, sorted out, but as we praise Jesus, we praise the Father of Jesus who sent him for this work, and we praise the Spirit of Jesus who enables him to do that work. There's no way... I, one of the things that this study of the Holy Spirit has done for me is it's made me more Trinitarian than I've ever been before. Because every time, you can't turn around without, you can't bump into one without bumping into the other two. Behold our God. The very life of our Lord, the very work that He does, the very things that He says 
his good, his true, his beautiful, his perfect life is done in the enablement of the Spirit. In fact, in fact, in in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees start kicking up a little bit of dust. They they start to see how Jesus' healings and miracles in the power of the Spirit is getting a, an audience, getting an attention. And, and the, the Pharisees are trying to find a way to undercut that and undermine that. And, uh, and, and, they, and they therefore accuse that Jesus is doing the miracles, and, and, and in quite a confusing way, that Jesus is actually casting out demons by the power of the devil. Yeah, Jesus no, chuckled over that one as well, I think. But, and, um, but Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, But if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, you guys know what this means. If you guys think, if you guys know half of what you think you know about the Old Testament, how the Messiah will have the Spirit of God upon him, enabling him to do the work that he is doing. If you guys see the work that I am doing, and you can't connect the dots and see that that's evidence, not only that I am a divine being as promised in the Old Testament, but as a divine being, I have the Spirit of God upon me. If, if, you, if you can't connect those dots, you guys have missed the whole point. And he concludes this three verses later in Matthew 12, 31, as they, are, as they are saying about Jesus, well, he's doing that in the power of the devil. Jesus said, you guys are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Because... Because you guys are taking the credit that should go to the Holy Spirit, enabling me to do what I'm doing, and you're deflecting that away from the Holy Spirit, and you're actually saying that that's of the devil. You guys are talking bad about the Spirit. Notwithstanding, you're talking bad about Jesus, but, you, but Jesus says you guys are blaspheming the Spirit of God. That, that's, that's how clear it is in Jesus' mind that everything I'm about... Everything I'm doing is being done by the guidance and the enablement and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, part of why I'm pointing this out is is that as sure as we in our hearts ought to be in awe of Jesus for what he has said and what he has done and what he's about to do in the gospel accounts, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to just separate that. As, as much as we are in awe of Jesus, I want to encourage us to be in awe of the Spirit of Jesus. And, of course, the Father of Jesus. Because this is a, this is a group deal here. And so even when we get to the, to the gospel accounts concerning the death of Christ... Even, even the very death of Christ, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is done through the eternal power of the Spirit of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify uh, for the, the purification of the flesh... 
how much more? In other words, uh, as these pictures in the Old Testament were doing something, uh, how much more will the blood of Christ, not the blood just of goats and bulls, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God How much more will he not purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Even the very crucifixion of Christ on the cross, while we certainly see Jesus Jesus as the one put forward on the cross for us and for our salvation, even that putting forward of Jesus on the cross was done through the eternal Spirit Offered up to God. Get Trinitarian again. It's the Spirit of God working in Jesus so that Jesus might be a perfect, acceptable sacrifice to his Father for us and for our salvation. Christ dies by the very power of the Spirit. And then we turn right around, and and as we would read further in the gospel accounts, that while he was dead, he didn't stay dead, that he was raised from the dead. And some places in the New Testament, it it tells us that, that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Some places, it actually tells us that Christ raised himself from the dead. And yet, in other places, it tells us that, and you know where I'm going with this, it's the Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead. For instance, in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, it says he was declared to be the Son of God in, in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Or in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, we are told that it was the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who, it goes on to say, who now is at work or who now indwells us. So it is the very Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead. So from cradle to grave, from conception to resurrection, The Spirit of God is upon Jesus. His entire life, the Holy Spirit's role during the incarnation is to do whatever is necessary for him to do to enable Jesus to do what he did for us and for our salvation. Now, just a few moments more, and let's shift gears for a second and say, well, So what's the Holy Spirit's role after the ascension of Christ? What's the role of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' life on this earth? And there's there's several ways that we could think about this and try to accomplish this. One of which is just when you get to the book of Acts in chapter 1, when Luke is riding to Theophilus again, he says, Oh, Theophilus, in my first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, I began to tell you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And really what the book of Acts is, is it is a commentary now on not what Jesus began to do and teach in his life, but now what Jesus will continue to do and teach. We'll say, now wait a minute. By the end of chapter 1, Jesus leaves the earth. How does he continue to do and teach after he leaves? The book of Acts explains it to us. It is now the very spirit of Jesus who will, through his church, through his people, 
continue, pick right up where Jesus left off, uh, it will continue to do and teach. Or the way Jesus explains it, and if, if you want to, you can turn there and look at a couple of passages in John 14 and John 16. In John 14, Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, explains some things to us, to his disciples, concerning the role and the work of the Holy Spirit after his physical departure. In, in fact, I would just sometimes we romantically think, oh, shucks, I, I, I was born at the wrong time. I missed it. I mean, man, just to think how lucky I would have been if, if I was born when Jesus was actually here on this earth physically. And, and we're like, man, I just, you know, I just, I missed that, you know, and now, now I get like second best or something, you know. Um, and 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 that's not at all how I think Jesus would want us to see this. In fact, if there is a limitation to the incarnation of Christ, is that when Christ took on flesh, he was now going to be limited to a certain geographical time and space. He couldn't be two places at once. But guess what? Now now that Jesus has ascended and he has sent his spirit... Guess what? Jesus can be everywhere all at the same time because of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. John 14, beginning at verse 16, reading verse 17 as well, it says, And I will ask the Father, again, another Trinitarian passage here. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In other words, he'll give you another one just like me. Uh, He will give you another helper to be with you Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I think speaking of the day of Pentecost, when, when the, the ministry of the Spirit will, will get kicked into a whole other experiential dynamic that the Spirit of God won't just be around or near God's people, uh, uh, but the Spirit of God will permanently be indwelling God's people. Or what Jesus says in John 16, verses 12 through 15, concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit after he leaves the earth. He says, uh, I still have many things to say to you. In other words, uh, you guys got some more lessons uh, but, but you cannot bear them for now. So there's more I want to tell you, I, 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 but I can't tell you right now because you can't take any more. And it says, um, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
from these two passages, do you see the, the particular role of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Jesus now that Jesus has left this earth? The Spirit comes down and indwells the people of God, enabling us to remember, enabling us to grasp, enabling us to faithfully bear witness, and enabling us to faithfully live out all that Jesus teaches us. All that he had, has previously taught us, uh, as we would find in his teachings in the Gospels, and yet all that he will continue to teach us through the, the writings and the ministry of the apostles. In other words, by the Spirit, Jesus continues to teach his church, his people. And, and from the Spirit, Jesus not only will, will teach us, but from the Spirit, Jesus will be the content, the subject matter of that instruction. In other words, the Holy Spirit will not come simply to teach us a lot of things about himself. He only takes what was Jesus's and gives it to us. He, he only hears what Jesus says and speaks it to us. Why? And he, because he says here in, our, in, in John 16, because the ministry of the Holy Spirit for us right now in relationship to Jesus is the Holy Spirit is at work so that we might see the glory of Jesus. That we, as Jesus alludes to in John 17, that, that we might see the glory of Jesus before the creation of the world. That, that we, according to John 1, might see the glory of Jesus when he took on flesh and dwelt among us. That we might see the glory of Jesus as we read about him in the Gospels through, the, through his teachings and through his activities and, and through his ministry. That we might see the glory of Jesus that even as he's hung on the cross, he is seated on his throne in all of his glory. That we might see the glory of Jesus even now as he is no longer in the grave, but he is right there at the Father's right hand interceding for us. In other words, when we think about these truths and our hearts leap and rejoice and are made happy over these truths, guess who is at work in our hearts? It's the Spirit of Jesus saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Become like Jesus. This is the Spirit of God at work in us, making a fuss over Jesus. The Holy Spirit works so that through His church and through His people, Jesus might be proclaimed. The Holy Spirit works today so that as Jesus is proclaimed, that dead hearts of stone might be made to life, that blind eyes might be opened, that, that, that slaves might be released from their captivity to sin so that we might receive Jesus. And, and He works and so, so that in having Jesus proclaimed and having Jesus received that, that our hearts would learn to celebrate Jesus, to be satisfied 
content, joy-filled, peaceful. For the Holy Spirit, even this day, is the one who comes. He's the one who guides. He's the one who hears and speaks. He's the one who takes and delivers. He's the one who glorifies all in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I wrap us up by orienting us this morning as the Holy Spirit would orient us to this morning. Jesus Christ has come for people like us. We are cut off, estranged, actually cursed and condemned before a holy God because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our negligence of God. Jesus Christ has come to make things right, to reconcile someone like me and someone like you sinners to a holy God. And he's done that by taking up on flesh and in the power of the Spirit living a perfect life. None of us can lay claim to that, but Jesus sure can. Obeyed his Father in heaven flawlessly, perfectly. Accumulated a perfect standing of righteousness before a holy God. And then he goes to the cross And there at the cross, he bears up under sin. It's curse. It's just punishment. Not because he was guilty of anything. He wasn't guilty of anything. But because you and I are guilty of pretty much everything. Because to break one one of God's law is really to be guilty of having broke all of God's law. That's a serious issue. And yet it's taken care of at the cross because through the eternal Spirit of God, the blood of Jesus is found acceptable in the sight of God to atone, to remove, to take away our sin and to um, uh, assuage the justice of God, thereby abating the wrath of God from people like you and me. In fact, any and all who would even this morning turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while on the one hand, it is an obligation uh, before God this morning that you and I turn to Christ. On the other hand, perhaps the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart this morning opening your eyes, enabling you to see what maybe you've never really seen or considered previously. It it could just be collapsed down to one simple reality that you would see this morning, before God, I am in trouble. Before God, I need Jesus. And and while, while each and every one of us this morning is under obligation of the divine creator of the universe to turn and to trust in His well-loved Son. On the other hand, the Spirit perhaps is hovering among us this morning so that we would gladly, willingly, cheerfully, savingly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ. Love Him. Celebrate Him. Receive Him. Rejoice in Him. Obey Him.
For there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, empowered by the Spirit of God for us and for our salvation. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work that he has done, and yet thank you for the Spirit of Jesus who has enabled him to do exactly that work. So, Father, as we've spent these moments thinking about, considering the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life and even well beyond his life, we thank you for the Spirit. May this week be a week in which we are alert to and sensitive to, are filled by and walk in the Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Spirit would stir in our hearts,